You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Coop. Well, I, you know, I was listening to her play and it reminded me of my music lessons when I was growing up. And uh, my parents are musical, my mom is musical, my dad's musical, my sister's musical, and uh, my other family members are musical. But for whatever reason, I wasn't dealt that card in life. But my parents thought I was dealt that card. And so they put me into three years of music lessons. And every, I forget what night of the week it was, but my dad would drive me into town. It was a 30-mile drive. He'd drive me to town for my music lessons, wait there, pick me up, drive me home. And it was quite a sacrifice for him to take time and the money to put me into piano lessons. But after three years, to the relief of the teacher, they decided to take me out of piano lessons. I was probably her slowest student. And... uh, so then they, my dad said, well, let's put him into band, you know. And uh, he said, would you like to go into band? I go, yeah, I'd like to go into band. And so they put me into band, and they gave me a trumpet to play. And uh, after a while, my dad saw that I was struggling. So as an incentive, he bought me a brand-new trumpet. And that was a big deal. We, we didn't have a lot in our home, and to, for my dad to buy me a new trumpet was a big deal. And I knew dad was, he was making an investment to buy me a trumpet. So... I was. I tried, folks. I I did. I sort of. I tried. <laughs> but you know, when the passion isn't there, and it just doesn't, it doesn't click with you. Uh, I really had a. My mom had a really disciplined me. Son, practice that trumpet. Practice the trumpet, and, and it wasn't their fault. They did their. They did their best. Um, my most embarrassing moment, I think, in band. One of my most embarrassing moments in life, as a matter of fact, was. I would often just pretend to play, didn't play. <laughs> I would just just move my fingers and move my cheeks. and It was a big band, so nobody could really tell anyhow. My friends beside me knew, but the, the instructor didn't know. But there's a verse in the Scripture that says, Be sure your sins will find you out. And uh, <laughs> it was the worst timing. We were in... Fort McLeod, Alberta, at the Legion Hall, and a uh, little group there, and the band was supposed to play, and I was there, and sitting in the back row, like I usually sat, and the band instructor said, uh, Dave, Dave, why don't you, this afternoon, would you give us middle C so the band could warm up to middle C? I couldn't find middle C on the trumpet. I, <laughs> I didn't know where middle C was. That was about the end of my trumpet playing career. Uh, the band teacher talked to my parents, and, but they didn't give up. They bought me a guitar. <laughs> my dad bought me a brand new guitar. He said, well, I'll try guitar. My dad played guitar. My dad even took up trombone when I took, played the trumpet to just encourage me to go with me. He was a great trombone player, but I didn't get trumpet, but he got trombone. So I played guitar for a couple of years, and uh, anyhow... I didn't. My mom, she's a saint. She said, you know what? The boy likes basketball. Let's try basketball. (laughs) By that time, I was in grade 10. They threw me to basketball, and I said goodbye to the music. And I found that my role was much better fulfilled playing basketball than it was playing music. And uh, so uh, I appreciate music, love it, just don't have that particular talent, that ability. But I've got other abilities. You've got abilities. He's got talents. You have gifts that God gave to you. Uh, and in life, one of the most fulfilling things we can do is to know what our gift is, know what our role is, and to play it. 
Our message this morning is called playing second fiddle. Next, we're going to talk about the second mile. Last week, we talked about when second comes first, following Christ, we're second. But in playing second fiddle, most of us in life are in a supportive role. We're part of the support cast. We watched the hockey game with great interest when Canada won the gold medal in the Olympics. Remember when Sidney Crosby scored the goal? Everybody was cheering, and it was so exciting, and he was so pumped when he won that goal uh, and got the gold medal for it. But it wasn't just Sidney Crosby. Somebody passed him the puck. There was a coach that was cheering him on and coaching him. There was a goaltender on the other end of the ice. It was a whole team that made that possible. There was a supportive cast that made it possible. And whether it be in our families or whether it be in our businesses or whether it be anywhere in life, we are in a supportive role for the most part. And even if we're number one, first fiddle, not second fiddle, you don't play first fiddle always. Eventually, somebody else plays first fiddle, and you're you're playing second fiddle. I read recently that Bill Gates is no longer the wealthiest man in the world. He's not playing first fiddle anymore. He's playing second fiddle. There's a fellow from Mexico, uh, Carlos Slim, who's now wealthier by half a billion dollars more. And not a lot, I guess, but when you're that place, it's uh, pretty close. Well, he's playing second place. Behind him is Warren Buffett. The writer, Forbes, who tracks all the wealthiest people in the world, they said, actually, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett would both be the wealthiest men in the world if they didn't give away so much. Actually, they estimate Gates would be worth $80, million, 80 billion if he hadn't given away so much. So obviously for him, it's not about the money so much. He obviously has a heart to give. Understanding our role in life is important. If we live and are always looking, well, if I could just be like them, or if I was just like that person, or if I could just get better, just get faster, just get quicker or smaller or bigger, or if I just be like that person, then I'd be fulfilled and happy. If I could just play the violin like Rosemary, then I'd be fulfilled and happy. Or if I could just be, have as much money, or if I could just have a wife like that guy did, or if I could just have a husband like that person has, then I would be happy. But that's not where happiness is found. Happiness is found in understanding this is my role, this is my place, this is my purpose. God is a great designer, and he put me in the right place. And when I understand that and be content in what he's given me to do, be the best at that, of course, but don't get bogged down in comparing myself to others, then I will be uh, satisfied. A couple people we're going to look at today that are not as well known in the scriptures. One is Andrew. Andrew, we pick up his story in John. If you have your Bibles, go to John chapter 1. We pick up a bit of his story in John. We know a lot about Peter. We talk about him a lot. He's the one who denied the Lord. We're going to hear about him as Easter comes up. We'll hear his story. We're going to hear about, we know a lot about John. John's got a book written in the Bible. Peter has first, second, third Peter, but there's no book of Andrew in our Bible, but yet he's one of the Lord's disciples. And some might say, well, you know, he kind of played second fiddle. We can learn from Andrew because in life, most of us have a supportive role. And this is Andrew. But we can learn from his attitude what he did and what he didn't do. John chapter 1, it's important to start there. If you have your Bibles, flip over to John chapter 1. Would you say with me this morning, thank you, Lord, for the book of John. John 1, verse number 40 to 42. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. 
he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Andrew brings Peter, or then called Simon, to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. This is where we uh, first really read about Andrew. Andrew was already following John the Baptist. And when he followed John the Baptist, he ended up getting introduced to Jesus. And he comes home and says to his brother, Hey, bro, guess what? I found the guy we're looking for. His name's Jesus. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. Come on, let's go check it out. I'll take you to him. I found him. And so they go down there, and he says, Hey, Lord Jesus, Rabbi, whatever they called him, he said, This is my brother Peter. I don't know if he was younger or older, but he introduces him to Peter. And Jesus, Ah, you're Simon, but you're going to be called a rock. Now, as time goes on, if you track the story through the scriptures, you'll find that Andrew has a couple other roles. When they're feeding the thousands, loaves and fishes are brought up. The other disciples don't know what to do with it. Andrew says, you know what, Lord, there's a little boy here that's got loaves and fishes. And so he offers that solution. But what's amazing about it is that often Andrew is not included in the inner circle. Remember, Andrew introduced Peter to Jesus. But when Jesus goes up onto the mountain of transfiguration, he takes Peter, James, and John. Peter is Andrew's brother. John is his best friend. So Andrew doesn't get to go up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus doesn't take him. He doesn't say, oh, you know what? Uh, Andrew, I better take you too. I don't want to hurt your feelings. Come on, you, you can come up here with us. No, he doesn't take Andrew with him. Later on, Jesus heals Jairus' daughter. And when he goes to pray for Jairus' daughter, again, he takes Peter, James, and John with him to pray for the daughter. And she's raised from the dead, an amazing miracle. But Andrew wasn't invited. But Andrew was the one who introduced Peter to Jesus. But he isn't invited into that. Then later on at the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus would take his 12 disciples into the garden to pray. Well, 11, I guess. And then we have Peter, James, and John who went with him further. But Andrew wasn't invited to go further. Peter, James, and John were. What's interesting is that Andrew didn't get bitter over this. Andrew didn't say, hey, you know what? I have a problem with this. I'm the one to introduce Peter to you. John's my best friend. And I don't know about that. If you're not going to invite me to these things, then I'm just not going to go. I'm just going to go sit over there. If you really want me, if you really need me, then come get me. Because you didn't invite me, I, after all, I was there first. I came to the church before anybody else did, so I have inaugural rights, and you're not using my inaugural rights. So I'm a little bit offended that I wasn't invited and I wasn't used. Andrew could have had that attitude. He could have got envious of Peter. He could have been jealous over Peter over John, his friend. He could have been upset about it. He could have been resentful. He could have been bitter over it. He could have, could have wrecked his life. Later on, we read in the book of Acts, who's in the upper room praying? Andrew. Who later on in the book of John is still inviting people, introducing them to Jesus? It's Andrew. Greeks come up and they wanted to know about Jesus. And he said, hey, I'll introduce you to him. So there's no bitterness. There's no envy in his life. He's an amazing example of somebody who knew his role didn't compare himself to somebody else, and continued to walk through life. We will cripple our role, our destiny, rob our fulfillment if we start to get bitter, jealous, or envious of other people. It'll destroy it. 
It's easy to do because we're in a society that tries to keep you in their mold. Here's the mold. We try to put you in it, and you have to conform to this. And we're so driven to be this or to be that, when really the most satisfying thing to do is say, God, what's my role? You created me. What's my role? What am I created to do? You wouldn't know of anybody. Now I want to live that out. I want to live out that purpose. There's a 10th commandment which says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. That 10th commandment is still for today. If we start coveting what others have, their role, what they're doing, their position, is really crippling in our own life. Envy is a, is a terrible disease that will cripple your life. Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness, indignation, wrath, quarreling, envy, slander, evil speaking be banished from you. Get rid of it. Any kind of that stuff, get rid of it. Don't let it even get near you. It is a poison. And you really have to be, you have to think on your feet. You got to be in the game. You, 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 this is a game of life, so to speak, and it will crop up. It'll crop up in your workplace. It'll crop up in your family. It'll crop up in church. It'll crop up in your community. And you start to say, man, I, I feel like my role doesn't count. I feel like I'm not as important. I feel like Andrew, like, how come I wasn't invited? How come I don't get to be there? And if you go down that path, it will destroy the fulfillment that God has for your life. Envy is a feeling of displeasure produced by witnessing or hearing the advantage or prosperity of others. Envy desires to deprive another of what he has. I want to pull you down to my level so you can have what you have. Envy will ask, why them? Gratitude says, Lord, why me? Why have you blessed me so much? In a book on none of these diseases by Dr. McMillan, he says this, Medical science recognizes that emotions such as fear, sorrow, envy, resentment, and hatred are responsible for the majority of our sicknesses. Estimates vary from 60 to 100%. Now, that hurts just a little bit. Because when we're sick or when we feel a sickness coming on, the first thing we do is say, well, you know, I'm going to reach for the vitamins. I'm going to exercise better. I'm going to build up my immune system, and I'm going to get in better shape. And all that is good. But could it be that the reason we're sick is that there's envy or bitterness or jealousy in our lives? I don't, want to, I don't know if I want to go there. But maybe we need to just come on and look in the mirror <laughs> and just say, maybe that's the case. David said, oh, Lord, search my heart. That's a good prayer to pray. When you're sick physically even or emotionally, Lord, search my heart. Have I let bitterness in? Have I let envy come in? Have I let this stuff sneak into my life? It's a sneaky, sly, slippery devil, and it sneaks into your life. It's worse than hatred because hatred's out in the open. Everybody sees it. Envy's underneath, and it slowly erodes, corrodes your life. There's an old Greek proverb that says, that envy is like rust. It slowly corrodes your life. You don't see it day to day, but over time you see the change. I think it's important that we have a corrosion inhibitor in our life. That corrosion inhibitor is the love of God that never, never fails. To walk in the love of God is an amazing corrosion inhibitor against the acidity, the caustic, even caustic 
effects of envy in our life. When we see somebody else and their position, say, oh, I want that position. I'd be happy if I had their looks, if I had their money, if I had their wife, if I had their car, if I had their this or that. That's coveting. There's a reason God commanded us, don't go there. Be content in what you have. Be content. Sometimes the wealthiest, most blessed, most privileged people are the most discontent people. Certainly, we in Canada and Vancouver have much to be thankful for. Amen? Where we have, the privilege we have. What we get to steward is amazing, and and we need to steward it. If envy uh, goes unchecked, it'll have effect on our lives. It'll cripple your health. It'll cripple your security and your trust in God. It'll cripple relationships. It'll cripple your respect for authority, for leadership. It'll cripple your ability to enjoy what you have. Well, if I just had a bigger boat, I'd be happy. More horsepower. If I just had a, had a bigger car, if I just had a better suit, if I just had something else, if I just had their talent, I'd be happy. So you're not even enjoying what you have because of that. It'll cripple our spiritual growth. Here's a couple of quick signs of, of it. It's important for us to nail this because James says, where envy is, there's every sort of evil. So that's James chapter 3, if you're taking notes, you want to look that up later. Here's some subtle signs of envy. You avoid being kind to the one you envy. You don't ask them about their success, and you play on a one-upmanship. You get near them, and you want to one-up them. Or you keep your distance. You actually stay away. You find yourself staying away from people, staying away from a situation. It's a good indicator that envy's at work. If envy's at work, in your life, you are either sick or you're getting sick. So quiet in this church this morning. I'm just saying it for our good. Because it's a big deal. We, we, we look at other roles and say, I want that, I want that. And instead of saying, Lord, I will play the fiddle you gave me to play. I'm happy to do what you've given me to do. The Bible says, whatever your hand finds to do, do with all your might. It's not that hard. Whatever you find to do, Just do your best at it, and you're in God's will. Some other symptoms really quick, scorekeeping. You start keeping score. You start taking report cards and everything. You find yourself intimidated. You see everything is half empty. You you attend a lot of pity parties. Nobody comes, but you go to them. (laughs) you're, You're quick to point out when somebody let you down. You have a critical spirit. You're sad a lot. You have this attitude, I've got to have it. You have difficulty in listening to someone talk about their joy. You can't rejoice with them. You worry about things a lot. Remember, if you don't worry, the devil's got nothing to work with. Here's a key. Faith is the currency of heaven. Faith is the currency of heaven. And worry is the currency of hell. What type of currency are you dealing in? Faith by faith by faith. Nowhere does it say by worry. Nowhere does it say the just shall live by worry. Worry is a sin because it shows you're not trusting in him. So Andrew is an amazing example of a disciple. When you unpack his story, you see here's a disciple who was first to meet Jesus, introduces his brother, best friend, and yet he's not in the limelight. He's often playing a supportive role, but he goes through his entire life fulfilled and worshiping and serving God. Uh, Let me give you another example. 
And go with me to Psalm 84. Some people we don't often hear about. We're going to talk about the sons of Korah. Sons of Korah. David wrote a lot of the Psalms, but the sons of Korah wrote quite a few Psalms. And at first you think, oh, sons of Korah, who are those dudes? I don't know, somebody maybe wrote songs or whatever. But they, their, their history is amazing. The fact that they wrote Psalms means they must have made a big decision at some point in their life. Because their role was actually playing second fiddle. Psalm 84, we read a little bit about it. This is what they were singing about, celebrating. Psalm 84, it says, verse 10, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. The sons of Korah, their family, their role was to be janitors, custodial. They were the ones who kept the temple clean. And back then, it was a lot harder than it is today. Today, we don't have the sacrifices. Christ has been the final sacrifice, so we don't have that today. It was a little bit messier back then than it is today. And their job wasn't always that notice. They're often playing, quote-unquote, second fiddle. This is the sons of Korah. And they're singing about it. They're celebrating. Man, it's better to do this than anything else. I love what I do. I love that I get to serve in God's house and I get to do this. Even though it's not seen, I'm glad I get to do this. But if you read about their... I don't know if it would have been their grandfather, their great-grandfather. I don't know how far you go back. But Korah himself, they're the sons of Korah. Korah, their relative, he had a problem. You can read about number 16. Because he challenged Moses. He'd come out of Egypt with Moses. And he said to Moses, he said, you know what? I think we should all get a crack at leadership. You're acting like royalty. I think I should get a crack at that. I think others should get a crack at it. And they began to challenge Moses' role and his position. They, they wanted to step out of their role into another role. They wanted to go into his office. You don't go into somebody else's office. You stay in your office. But they wanted to go into Moses' office. Moses said, well, I guess we'll let God decide on this. I'm not going to decide on this. If God picked me as leader, he picked me as leader. Aren't you glad God uses people even though your past gets messed up? God used Moses, think about it, he messed up big time, but his past did not destroy his purpose. Your purpose is constant, your role is intrinsic, it'll stay with you. Even though you've messed up, today's a new day. He's a God of new beginnings. He used Moses again, he used Gideon again. Jesus took the woman at the well who was, made some mistakes, her past wasn't so good, but he used her to be an evangelist. He uses. Saul, whose name was changed to Paul. Paul, at one time, persecuted Christians and God. His past did not stop him from being an amazing leader. Your past does not nullify your purpose from being used, ever, no matter how old you are or what you've done. It's an intrinsic thing that God's put within you. He's your creator. He put it in you. Of course you'd want to use it. Well, here's Moses being challenged by Korah. And Moses says, God, you decide. God does. There's an earthquake. It swallows up Korah and the sons. You say, well, that's the Old Testament. Well, you can read about it in Jude. It also is referred to in the New Testament. What happened with Korah? He wanted somebody else's role. He was clawing for power. He was clawing to be number one. I have to have number one. I have to be this. I have to play first fiddle. I'm not happy unless I do. You've got to watch that stuff. God has a way of sorting that out. Because, after all, he's creator, he's God, he keeps things in order, and even in his kingdom, he does. After all, it is his kingdom, not our kingdom. That's why we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. 
We don't pray, my kingdom come, my will be done. We say, Lord, let your kingdom be done. That means when I pray that, I'm saying, Lord, I will play whatever role you want me to play in your kingdom. I will follow you. If you missed last week's message, it's good to go back and get that message. It ties into what we're sharing today. Sons of Korah, interesting. They were glad to serve in God's house and to fulfill their role. Really, it's part of a big picture. We went to a symphony a number of years ago, Cheryl and I. And you know what amazed me about the symphony? It was when it was over. Boy, they clapped. I don't know if Manel is here this morning, but Manel works there, and she invited us. We went, and they applauded and applauded and applauded. It was so cool to see the, just the way they honored them. Uh, that struck me. Another thing that struck me was this guy who played the drum. And it was just one drum, a big drum. I don't know what it was called, but he had one drum, and he just played this drum. And he did play it all the time. Just every once in a while, he got to bang on the drum. But boy, did he smile when he banged on that drum. He was like, yeah. He was just... And then he was quiet. And some songs, he didn't even play at all. He just sat there. And I was watching this guy. I thought, you know, I wonder how he feels. He doesn't always get to play. When he gets to play, his part's pretty short. But when the applause came, it was for him as much as everybody else. And he knew his piece at that moment in the song, the song would have been flat without it. But you needed that instrument at that time for it to work. And that's the way it is. We're a symphony. As a church, we're a symphony. Every part has its piece to play. In a family, every role is important. The father, the mother, the children, and the dog. Every role is important for that family to work. If we miss our role, we think, oh, no, I want to be that, or I want to be that. It gets very confusing. If the children say, I want to be the parent, and I want to set the rules, I mean, pretty soon you have chaos. Because we have roles to play. If we don't know our purpose... And if we don't know our role, then abuse happens. If you don't know the role of a wife, the husband will abuse the wife. Scriptures tell us what the role of the wife is. If he misinterprets the scriptures, he will abuse his wife. That's happened. If you don't know the role of the husband, you'll abuse your husband. If you don't know the role of children, you'll abuse children. That's hideous, isn't it? Abuse children. If we don't know the role of our education, we can abuse our education opportunity and squander it. If we don't know the role of our own life, if you don't know the purpose for your life, you'll abuse your life. So how would I abuse my life? You'll waste it. You'll live on survival mode. This is survival mode. Oh, it's Sunday. Tomorrow's Monday. I got to go to work. But thank God for Friday, because Friday we're going to party. Friday we're going to tie one on. It's going to last till Sunday. I'm going to recover on Sunday. I'm going to go back to work on Monday. I'm going to survive the week. I get my paycheck. I live for that. That's survival mode. That's not fulfilling. That's not purposeful living. Or you can have success level. Or, okay, I, I, I'm going to succeed. I'm going to have the things. I'm going to have the job. I'm going to have the prestige. I'm going to have the position. And I have success. You can have success and not be fulfilled. You can have the money and not be and have success, but then there's this significance where you know your role, you know your purpose, and that's the place you want to live in. So, well, how do I figure that out? God, the Creator, knows it. Everything has been created by Him and for Him. The ecosystem, the ozone layer, the smallest atom, the smallest bug. My kids used to say, "Dad, why did God make flies?" When we lived in Saskatchewan, why did he make mosquitoes? They're annoying. I think he, he should have never created mosquitoes. But I don't know, even mosquitoes have a purpose. Bugs have a purpose. Everything has a purpose. Now think about it. If every bug 
if the ecosystem, the ozone layer, if every planet, if everything, and we know that is precise, and if, we, if, we, if anything goes out of balance, everything is affected. If God takes that much care in the entire universe, of course you have a role. Of course you have a place to play. Of course God would have never created you if you didn't have a role to play in the big picture of things. Yeah. The enemy likes to come along and tries to rob you of that role, lie to you. You know what? You're not quite good enough. You didn't do good enough there. You haven't done this. You shouldn't have done that. He tries to constantly suppress you so that you back away and retreat. Where God is always saying, hey, I thought of your future. God thought more thoughts of you today than all the sand on the sea. He was thinking about you, your purpose and your destiny. Jesus said, look at the lilies. Look at the sparrows. God cares for them. They're in his design, and you're much more worth than they. Of course you're valuable. Of course you have a role, and of course you have a purpose. Our role, our purpose, and our destiny is found in Christ. In him, we live and move and have our being. Amen. We're part of a body. We have a role to play. And we go to God and say, God, what is my place? Where's my role? Sometimes we discover it very early in life. Sometimes it comes in stages, like a Polaroid picture develops as we go. But yet when you look back, you say, God, you're at work there. You're at work there. And he won't waste your experiences. He won't waste the bad experiences. He's a good manager. In 301, in the course, 301, the shape course that we take, the equipping basis, we talk about your shape. And experience is a part of it, your personality, your talents. But you have a role to play. Make no doubt about it. Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, is the one who reveals that to you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org.